Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. is the Dan Grasso Show. The reality on the 24th day of January is that the Knicks are a good team. I think the stakes keep changing almost on a weekly basis for the New York Knicks in regards to what they can be this year and what they could do. And I get it. There are teams in the Eastern Conference that are better than them. I'm not going to sit here and try to sell you on some notion that they're toe-to-toe with the Boston Celtics. They're not. The Knicks are right now that next team in the conference. You have those three. Look at what this team has done since the OG Ananobi trade. They've won 10 out of 12 games. They'll think better days are to come for this basketball team. And the days right now aren't too bad. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. We're excited about this. We gave it a little bit of a test run on Monday if you were with us. So now this is going to be a staple. Every time we get the full show, no interruptions. 8 o'clock hits to start the final hour. This is what we will be doing. This is what we are going to be showcasing. We gave it a lot of thought. We hired some of the brightest minds from sea to shining sea, to all collaborate, put our heads together and come up with what we should call this bad boy. And I present to you, for the first time, officially, on 98.7 ESPN, the debut of a little program or segment we like to call Grasa Us. This is Grasa Us. Grasa Us. It's our way of saying thank you to the sports figures out there making headlines. Nothing more, nothing less. A thank you for giving us something to talk about. So little stories that maybe we touched on already today, some that we haven't, but we're going to have some fun with this. So let's not waste any time. Grasa us. We'll start with basketball and Julius Randle. We talked about him a lot tonight already, right? Knicks are flying high. They're 10 games over 500. Last night, Taking care of business, coming from behind, beating the Brooklyn Nets. Rivalry game, if you want to call it that. So, Julius, how was the atmosphere in Brooklyn? Yeah, it was lit. It was lit, especially when we come back, came back. You know, crowd really got into it. You know, it was good to hear the, the New York Knicks chants and Barclays. That's always fun. What would you say the breakdown was last night as far as fans in that building? Knicks-Nets. What, like 65-35? Yeah, do you think you think it was about 65-35? Yeah, there was a video, actually, of, of comparing the noise between, like, a Bridges bucket and a Randall bucket. It was, like, night and day. Right, it might as well have been at Madison Square Garden. It seemed 80-20. I, I would not argue that. I wouldn't argue that. Because, look, I grew up, back when they were the Jersey Nets, every time that the Knicks crossed the river, I mean, you had more Knicks fans. You heard more Knicks fans than you did Net fans. And now even though the Nets, I mean, look, we could spend hours talking about this with Brooklyn and the identity and everything. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. And especially when the Knicks are winning, they're going to pack the place. At least when they were in Jersey, Knicks fans had to pay a toll. They had to pay a toll. Imagine what that toll is now compared to what it was then. It's a bad toll. I'm going to pay it every day. Not great. Not great, Bob. Might be worth it going back. (laughs) Exactly. And so Mikhail Bridges, he played great last night. 
right? He was one of the guys that you looked at the net side and said, well, you can't really blame him for losing that game. What did he think about all the Knicks fans in the house? You're reasonably new to this rivalry, but I mean, when you hear a crowd like that, it's your building and you have to hear, let's go Knicks and all of that. How would you describe that? Is that frustrating? Is it galling? I, I don't want to put words. How would you describe that? I mean, I feel like any person in here is not fun and you feel like you're at a away game at home. So that's for probably any person sitting in here, any person alive. So, Hey man, comes with the territory. Welcome to playing basketball in this city, right? It's what it is. And the Nets have also figured out a way to just keep blowing double-digit leads. What do Mikael Bridges think about that? Just got to stay together. That's the biggest thing. Team make a run and make a push. He's got to handle adversity a little bit better. We had it earlier in the year. We won some games towards the end, but kind of lost that. It's tough when you keep losing at the end. It, you know, put your confidence down. So we just got to keep sticking together. We're going to be in them positions a lot. Just got to be ready. And lastly, how about the net coach, Jock Vaughn, who you'll be the one to decide if the clock is ticking on him or not. But how confident that this will turn around. I'm actually pretty confident. That was a heartbreaking loss that we had in Clipperland. Uh, where there is, you're seeing the guys respond. A game that we thought we should have won in Portland, we didn't win, then we come back and win the Laker game. Clipper game that we thought we should win, then we come back tonight in one-on-one, one-on-one with a minute to go in the game. That ability for our guys to show a spirit about themselves, a, a competitiveness about themselves, definitely leans me into having belief and, and, and more comfort in this group to continue to push them and uh, Try to get some wins. See, here's the thing with the Nets. You have to keep the expectations at least honest at what they're supposed to be this year. But if you're losing games in this fashion, blowing double-digit leads, that's a bad look. Because you realize that something is not firing the way it should when the games matter the most. And that's where coaches get in trouble. And as I said earlier in the show, I don't know what Jock Vaughn's future is. But if they are going to make a move, should Sean Marks be the one that actually executes the move? Because how many of these does he get to do before his own job is called into question? Right? Hiring and firing coaches. He's done that a lot. Grasa us. Next. I think Candace Parker does a really, really good job as a commentator. I mean, she's a hell of a basketball player. We know that. But last night on the TNT postgame, intermission, halftime, whatever, she made a comment about Jalen Brunson. I know that she's already gone on social media today and kind of walked it back a little bit and tried to explain what she was trying to convey. But this was Candace last night talking about Jalen Brunson, the great Jalen Brunson, and his performance in the playoffs. We've seen Jalen Brunson in the playoffs with the Mavs, and he was number two, number three, came in, played minutes, supplemented Luka handling the ball. But as a number one option last year in the playoffs, great first round, second round not so much. All right. Second round, not so much. Guys, we watched the playoffs last year, right? We watched that Heat series. Knicks came up short, right? But do we blame Jalen Brunson? Think about the game, actually, that ended the Knicks season last year. What was it? I can't even remember. Five or six? Did they lose in five or did they lose in six? Six. You remember how good Jalen Brunson was in game six? Didn't he play 48 minutes that night or 47 minutes or something like that? I mean, the guy couldn't even breathe. He was phenomenal. So look, we all say things that are maybe a little off and maybe things that we'd like to take back. This was one for Candace. I'm not going to kill her too much. I just wanted to share with you guys. Because she's really, really good at what she does. Like, really good. Both as a player and as a commentator. But you can't say that Jalen Brunson, the reason that the Knicks lost is he didn't step up. I mean, the guy was Jalen Brunson was the best player in the series. Win or lose.
Best player in the series. Grata us. Let's move on to some football. Championship weekend ahead of us on Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. The main event is actually going to be the first game on Sunday with the Chiefs and the Ravens. Patrick Mahomes going up against Lamar Jackson, a blockbuster quarterback matchup. Here is the reigning Super Bowl MVP facing the likely MVP of the regular season this year. It's challenging. The way he's able to just be a competitor and score the football, obviously, and then their entire team. It's a tall task. you got to go out there and play your best football, and if you make any mistakes, it seems like the game's going to go the other way. So we've been able to play in a couple games, not in a few years now, but I've admired watching him from afar and know that it's going to be a great challenge for us every time we go up against him. I mean, I know that it sounds simple, but what more can you say about Patrick Mahomes other than the fact all he does is win? It's, it's insane. And this is going to be a super matchup. And I know that it's a team game. But so much of the NFL nowadays is how your quarterback performs, especially in these key situations. And when you're breaking down, and we'll spend the next couple of days doing it, this, this, this blockbuster clash on Sunday, couldn't you almost let it all boil down to which of these two quarterbacks that you trust more, Mahomes or Lamar Jackson? And that might end up be the tipping point as to who wins. Here's Lamar on facing Patrick Mahomes. I don't like competing against him at all. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, he's a great quarterback. Definitely a Hall of Famer. Uh, it's not even a, it's a no-brainer. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. I believe it's just two greats, up-and-coming greats, just going toe-to-toe, you know, like a heavyweight fight, heavyweight matchup. That's just what I see. I know it's only Wednesday, guys. Let me ask you. Life on the line. This game coming up on Sunday. You can pick one of these two quarterbacks. Who are you taking? Mahomes. Mahomes. Yeah. You have to. Until proven otherwise, you got to. I mean, the guys, it's its incredible. It really is incredible. Remind me, he's, t- he's completed two halftime comebacks in the Super Bowl, right? Against the Niners and Eagles? Well, that nine, the first Niners, you're right. The Niners won. I mean, Jimmy had a bad fourth quarter. Missed some throws. That was there for the taking. And then last year, Kansas City's defense showed up in the second half there and made some plays against Philadelphia, um, which helped tip the scales. But in a big game, how do you not pick this guy? But look, this is why this opportunity is fantastic for Lamar Jackson on Sunday. He, I don't know if there's, if there's demons that he has to exercise, but to be able to A, go to his first Super Bowl, and to B, do it against this guy and to knock off him along the way, that would be pretty cool. That's why, if you remember in 2015 when Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl with the Broncos his as he was walking out the door of the NFL, and I understand that that team was defense was its strength, and Manning was kind of just along for the ride. It was still kind of cool that Manning was able to get to that Super Bowl. He beat Brady and Belichick in the AFC Championship game in Denver. And Manning had a couple of big throws in that game. Like, I wasn't expecting much from him. Remember, he was benched that year for Brock Osweiler and then got his job back. Manning made a couple of big throws in that game to help them win. Remember, he couldn't fire it like he used to, but he still was savvy enough to make the plays when it mattered the most. Grasa us. Now we go to the NFC Championship game. And it's a big one for Brock Purdy. Remember, he didn't last in the NFC title game last year. He got hurt. And there's a lot of talk, despite the fact he's putting up brilliant numbers. He struggled a little bit on Saturday night, didn't deal with the elements all that well. 
This is a big moment for him, and I'm sure that he wants to prove a lot of people wrong, that he's not just along for the ride or a byproduct of Kyle Shanahan's system or the great talent they have around him. Here was Brock Purdy hosting the NFC Championship game. The Bay Area and the faithful in general, we want this game bad. And they've obviously been hoping to have another championship come in this organization. The last couple times we've been in the Super Bowl, we've fallen short. So now we get a shot at it again. So to play at home in the NFC Championship, it's going to be sweet. All the pressure was on the night. Would you say that out of the four teams this weekend, the team with the most pressure on their shoulders is the San Francisco 49ers? Are the San Francisco 49ers? 100%. It's got to be. What is it now? Fourth NFC Championship game in five years? Dude, last seven. Yeah, fourth and five. Last seven times, which is remarkable. Since This is since 2011. The last seven times the San Francisco 49ers have made the playoffs, they've made it to the NFC Championship game. It's That's not pretty the good. Ravens. What's that? It's not the Ravens for all the points that you just laid out. Because if Lamar doesn't do it now, when? And you can't beat Mahomes, he's not getting... You know, I hear what you're saying, but Lamar, I mean, like Lamar made that comment last week. He said, I want to win now. I'm getting old. He's only 27. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but, but, to your point, where's Mahomes going? Where are the Chiefs going? Where's Joe Burrow going? Right? Now, now, now Justin Herbert has Jim Harbaugh. So, Josh Allen? Josh Allen. Rodgers for a year ish. Mm-hmm. Let's get through one game first. How about a quarter <laughs> or a series? Let's get through a drive. <laughs> it's too soon. Yeah, you're right. It is too soon. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. 23 Jets. Those are four freaking great plays, aren't they? Awesome. awesome. Not really. He was on his rear end a lot. First play was great. Remember the handoff to Brees Hall? Oh, tremendous. Oh, that was great. Play. Great start to the season. Oh, I got that on my phone. I videoed the first play live, thinking that it was going to be some, like, he was going deep or something. He handed off to Brees Hall, but it was a great play. Great start, great ending. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. In between? Yeah. yeah, not so good. Not so good. Grasa us. All right, we will do that. Um, Cam Newton making the rounds. Our buddy Cam Newton. He was making the rounds today a couple of places with uh, Brandon Marshall. Saw them on, like, Good Morning America. They were on Good Morning Football as well. So they asked Cam, what team would you come back and play for? It's not even three. It's just really one. Ooh. Me having, you know... A family now. It's always been about family, and I don't see myself leaving Atlanta. So if it's not Atlanta, I don't want to do it. Bill Belichick reunited, and it feels so good. <laughs> but yeah, if it's one of them situations, it's like, man, I've really turned into a YouTuber slash full time dad. Like, I mean, that's cool, but Cam doesn't have to worry about that because nobody's calling him. Have him come back. I mean, his day is done. He was a really, really good quarterback. Had a great career. Nobody's calling Cam Newton to play quarterback anymore. Didn't go all that well in 2020 with the Patriots and Bill Belichick. Is that a wrong number situation? Like you mean to dial somebody else's number? Didn't that happen with the Patriots once before? <laughs> that, was, that was the Brian Flores texts with Belichick, remember? Wrong Brian, wrong Cam. <laughs> wrong Brian, wrong Cam. Exactly. Cross us. So Nick Sirianni, remember the Eagles season, that ended like a year ago, right? I mean, like the Eagles, remember, they were a round one ouster, not just this past weekend, and we still have not heard from the head coach, Nick Sirianni, Howie Roseman. Well, today we finally did. And people were starting to get nervous because I guess they were supposed to meet the media at 2.30. And 
They didn't come out until like 3 o'clock, and they were wondering, well, is how are we going to come out without Nick Sirianni and drop a bomb and say that he's no longer the coach? They blew out the coordinators. So listen to this exchange, because Nick Sirianni went out there and basically told you that they're going to shift their philosophies a little bit. They're going to have an offensive coordinator who's going to run the offense. The defensive guy is going to run the defense. And he is going to be essentially the overseer of everything football-related with the Eagles. So listen to this here with uh, Nick Sirianni and one of the reporters. The offensive coordinator is going to be in charge of the offense and the defensive coordinator is going to be in charge of the defense. What is your role going to be? The head coach of you know, the football what, what team. What does that entail? How, how does it change? I guess what you know it'd be this very similar to what's going on right now you know if that mean i'll sit more into defensive meetings at times maybe right instead of always being in an offensive meeting maybe i go to a defensive meeting here and there um but my job is to be the head coach of the team not the head coach of the offense not the head coach of the defense not the head coach of the special teams but be the be the head coach of the football team and so that's building the culture that's making sure the culture's um you know working you know with our our five core values are taking every day at a time like we're not coming up with new core values. Uh, I mean, we may shuffle of where you know where the things are that are important um, and the most important. Um, but that's diving into that, building the culture, having a relationship with the guys on the football team. Because I know when when I have that connection with the guys on the football team, that's when things are you know that when that's when the culture is working and and working at high level. And then that's where our connection with the players and then their connection with each other works well too. What would you say you do here? I mean, that's the only thing that I thought of during that whole thing. Like, the guy's basically asking him. It's like, okay, so you got the defense guy, the offensive guy. What the hell are you going to be doing? And let's be real. No more excuses. I know that it's funny. Nick Sirianni is a head coach. Like, three years, three playoffs, went to the Super Bowl. But he's coaching for his job in year number four. Like, if Philadelphia looks as lethargic as they did the last six weeks of the season or whatever it was, they're going to be looking for a new coach after next year. That's how fast this business could change. Never thought we'd be having that talk, but we are. Cross up us? Yeah. Lastly, let's switch over to the Hall of Fame. Baseball, three new inductees, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Todd Helton. Billy Wagner came up five votes shy. Todd Helton, the Colorado Rocky. He's surprised he got the call. I was pretty nervous. Um, I just, um, I, I really didn't think the phone was going to ring. And when it rang, I was, uh, yeah, I was still in shock. When it said Hall of Fame on it, I was uh, very happy. And, you know, it's, this is something you don't play for, but you, obviously it's the, it's the greatest award you can have as a baseball player. I got no problem with him getting in. I really don't. You know, his splits aren't as egregious as some of the other guys who played in Colorado their whole careers. Like, the guy was still a productive player. So, Todd gets in. And Joe Maurer, who, look, I know Joe Maurer's career was derailed with the concussions, especially him as a catcher because he had to move out from behind the plate. Joe Maurer, to me, is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Here he was on getting the call. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I kind of laid low, um, you know, during that time of, of a possible call and uh, just spent it with family and uh now I had to sneak into my office because the uh, the number is growing with uh, friends and family down here in my basement. So uh, definitely thrilled to, to get that call, but uh, very emotional. And, uh, you know, obviously leading up to today, um, you reflect on all the people that have impact on your career and, and who you are as a man. And um, a, lot of, a lot of emotions. It's been a whirlwind, that's for sure. So there you go. And that is the first installment of Grasa Us. 
on this Wednesday. Good job. Good job had by all. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And as I said, we'll feature that one for you every night at 8 o'clock when we have our full show. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. It's the ESPN New York Superbox Bonanza 5. We're giving away over $10,000 in cash and prizes. All qualifiers will get a $25 Fanatics gift card and a chance at one of 10 Superbox prizes. Get your box for the big game by listening mornings to DiPietro and Rothenberg. Afternoons to Barton Hahn and the Michael K Show. This year's big game payouts are $500 in the first and third quarters, $1,000 at halftime, and a final score payout. Of two thousand dollars. All brought to you by Tullamore Dew Irish Whiskey and the brand new Tullamore Dew Honey and Security Dodge. Come get some. For full contest details, go to superboxbonanza.com. We'll talk a little NFL with our pal Cynthia Freeland of the NFL Network coming up in ten minutes or so. As far as the baseball Hall of Fame vote is concerned, like I said, three players got voted in. And as I mentioned last night about Adrian Beltre, I understand. of the vote, first ballot Hall of Famer. One of 12 guys in the history of the game with 3,000 hits and 400 home runs. What's odd about Adrian Beltre is that for a first ballot Hall of Famer, making it to the All-Star game for the first time at 31 years of age, right? It's a little bit more immediate when you're talking about these no-brainer type of players. That's a little bit of an oddity there. Um, Todd Helton, I mentioned his road and home splits. You know, a lot of guys, they fall victim to the – the Coors Field, Colorado type of stigma. Larry Walker, though, was the one who I think finally broke through that a couple of years ago when he got in playing all those years in Coors Field, even though he you know, started in Montreal and had some other stops there along the way. But here's why Todd Helton belongs. Todd Helton had a higher road OPS than such individuals as Reggie Jackson, Jim Rice, Al Kaline, Carl Yastrzemski. Some of those names there are immortals. Okay, Todd Helton's road OPS was higher than those guys. He's a Hall of Famer. Joe Maurer made it by four votes. That's how he got in. You know what's odd about it, too, the more I think about it? You realize he's only the third catcher in the history of baseball to be voted in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. That's pretty exclusive company. Johnny Bench and Pudge Rodriguez, the other two. Now, you can't go back to, like, the days of Yogi or whatever. I mean, they guys didn't get voted in right off the bat then. It was a little weird when it came to the way that they decided Hall of Famers and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think Joe Maurer should be in that exclusive company. He just shouldn't. 
Now, the Billy Wagner one, you know that I'm hot over that. Five votes shy. The Billy Wagner injustice is ridiculous. Okay, you're talking about somebody who pitched to a 2-3-1 ERA in his career, which is the second lowest for any pitcher with at least 900 innings pitched in his career. You know the only one who's lower? A guy who wore number 42 for the Yankees. I would say that's pretty good company, but not to the baseball writers. 11.92 strikeouts per nine innings. A 187 batting average against. Those two numbers right there are the best of all time of any pitcher with at least 900 innings pitched. He's got a better whip, a better ERA, a better strikeouts per nine innings than Trevor Hoffman and Lee Smith. And those guys are in the Hall of Fame. I just don't understand why they hold it against Billy Wagner and why they haven't put him in. It's not like he was a bad guy. He wasn't divisive. And the guy walked away from baseball at the top of his game, guys. He was 38 years of age, pitching with the Atlanta Braves. He pitched to like a 1-4 ERA and a sub-1, a 0.8-something whip his final year. He didn't stick around to just stockpile saves and, and, and rack up statistics. He walked away because he wanted to spend time with his family. He had done enough. How is Billy Wagner not in the Hall of Fame? He'll get in next year, in his last year on the ballot. But you mean to tell me, like, are they holding against? And this is the, this is the only thing that I could think of. The only thing possible. Billy Wagner, his postseason ERA was not as formidable as what his regular season performance was. Like I said, he had a 2-3 ERA in the regular season. Postseason, his ERA was 10. But he only had 11 innings pitched in the postseason in his career. 11. So what are we going to put more stock in, guys? 11 or 900? I don't think it's much of a discussion, do you? A-Rod went down. Clemens and Bonds got to about 60% in their final year on the ballot. I don't know if A-Rod's ever going to get to 60%. He was at 34.8. I don't think he's getting there. And Gary Sheffield was another one who falls off the ballot. I think he should have been in the Hall of Fame. But here's the problem with Gary Sheffield. The whole human element popularity contest, I think, applies to a Gary Sheffield. I know you have the Balco and the Mitchell Report stuff, but Gary Sheffield was a polarizing guy. He was on eight different teams. He could be surly at times, probably rubbed a few writers the wrong way, maybe didn't give them the quote or the time of day they were looking for, and they kind of stored that away and didn't want to give him a vote. He should find his way in when it's all said and done. And you know what's funny about this, too? And here's my biggest beef with the Hall of Fame and the way that it's legislated. I think Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer. He got up to 61%. All right? He's got three more cracks at it. Hopefully he'll find his way in. Do you realize this was his seventh year on the ballot? 61% of the vote. In his second year on the ballot, so five years ago, you know how much he got? 7%. So explain to me, guys, in the five years, how does Andrew Jones jump from 7% to 61%? Did he Win more gold gloves in those five years being retired? Did he hit more home runs? Did he make some more unbelievable catches in center field? That's why it doesn't make any sense to me. If a guy is a Hall of Famer in his eighth or ninth year on the ballot, why isn't he a Hall of Famer in the second year on the ballot? Or the third year? Or the fourth year? I think ten years is too much time with these guys. Joe, your thoughts. You want to say something? 
Could it be that, you know, just the stack classes? Like, you're not putting them in, in the Mo and the Jeter classes. But they give you... Here's, the Griffies. Well, here's the other problem with that, though. They're giving the writers 10 guys to vote, which I think is too many. Yeah, but people don't like the, the you know, the big hall versus small hall. A lot of the writers are small hall guys. They only vote for three well, or no, four guys. Well, no, not anymore. A lot of these guys, I, I they're casting eight, nine votes on these ballots. And some of these guys are not Hall of Famers. Because it's charity cases in some cases. Exactly. But, you, but they shouldn't be doing that because then they're not giving credence to guys that deserve it. And they're overlooking guys like Andrew Jones, for example, and Billy Wagner, who go deep into the ballot seven, eight, nine years down the road. I don't think that they should have 10 votes. I mean, you shouldn't be able to vote for 10 guys. They have to restrict that number a little bit. Because six they won't a good be number? As... What's that? Six? I'd have no problem with six. Me, personally, on our little mock ballot we did on the MLB channel, I voted for six. And that's a lot for me, because I'm really strict when it comes to the Hall of Fame stuff. I think if you go six, you got to go 10 years, because that that definitely restricts. Because if you have a big class where a bunch of shoe-in guys that aren't the borderline Joe Mowers of the world, they have to get in. But the, but you see what I mean, though? It's it, it's a stark jump, though, to go from 7% to 61 in five years. It's like, where were all these 61 people back in his first couple of years? I, I just, you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. And that's the, cru- that's the crummy part of this whole process is that you're allowed now to sit there and sift through the numbers, the saber metrics, and as each year passes and their name shows up on the ballot again, it's like they look for new different ways and loopholes and equations to justify them being Hall of Famers. Like my old saying is, because like now, like I'm at an age, and I'm a little older than you, for example. I've seen all these. I saw their entire careers, like every guy on the ballot. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, Yeah, Joe Maurer now. I, I'm in that right. stage now, too, where I've seen every from their first pitch to their last pitch of their career. When it comes to a Hall of Famer, my rule is this. If you have to sit there and stop and think about it for a second, that's not a Hall of Famer. Fair. Fair? Because that's when we wedge into the Hall of Very Good department. Instead of Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame should be the one percenters. The exclusive. But it is what it is. It's unfortunate. We'll see where this goes. When we come back, we know where we're going. Cynthia Freeland, NFL Network, going to join us coming up next. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be.
This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Championship Sunday on the horizon just a few days away. Chiefs, Ravens, Lions, Niners on the NFC side. Joining me now, my good buddy, who I haven't talked to in a while, so that's a bad job out of me for not checking in, for staying in touch. But you know her from her work on the NFL Network. She does an outstanding job. And oh, by the way, she was born and raised the Detroit Lion fan from the mean streets of Michigan. And now she is reaping in the spoils because her team is 60 minutes away from the Super Bowl. It's our good buddy, Cynthia Freeland. How excited are you right now? I, it's surreal. Like, I'm, I was almost in tears. Okay, I was in tears at the end of the game. And I was in Detroit. It was, I was so, in a, I was wildly inappropriate in the press box. I was, like, crying and cheering. And I was like, I don't even care. The game's over. You guys have, you can, you can get your deadline. I'm going to have, like, 30 seconds of being excited. <laughs> now, I know you were on the scene because I was watching the, the pregame show on the, uh, the NFL game day morning. They had you and Colleen out at, it, it was like a bar or a restaurant or something like that, right? Yeah, it was a bar right across the street from Ford Field. It was called Elwood Bar and Grill. It was very, it was hilarious. I bought the entire uh, bar round of drinks. I thought it was going to be very expensive. It was like $200. There you go. Michigan nice for you. It was The only thing that concerned me, though, when I first put it on, the people were standing a little too close to you. Like, it was it was almost like kind of, and, and I was going to shoot you a text and be like, you know, you, I hope you guys have some security. Like, it was a little, they were a little too close, if you know what I'm saying, right? We we definitely had security. Will was great, but they were they were they were certainly close. Some people, I think, on one segment, somebody caught it. I I just wasn't expecting someone to touch me. So a man touched me like mid segment. I kind of moved away. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> well, you should. I mean, Norm, those are tough to do. I mean, you're there concentrating. You're trying to do your job, and then you have people standing over your shoulder. Like, there's no way I would. I am distracted by like the easiest thing. If like a fly like buzzes right past my face, I'm I'm completely lost. If there was a bunch of people in that crowd like that, there's no way I would have been able to do live TV. I mean, it was it. Was, I could barely hear Colleen because people were so excited. But you know, it was it was it was all worth it, especially because every time a Bucks fan would walk in, the the bar would boo for one second, and then they're like, "Oh, just kidding! You want a beer?" <laughs> how how okay. big is this? Really how big is this really for the like that city? Those fans? Because look, it, it it's been a lot of lean years. You know that. I mean, for a long time, the Lions were mm-hmm. like the butt of every joke in the NFL, and now sixty minutes from a Super Bowl. It's a huge deal. We had so many people come up to us at that bar saying. You know, I, I have a picture here of my father, who was a lifelong Lions fan, and I know he's watching from heaven today. Like, all of these, like, really touching stories, like wives that, you know, brought brought their husband of, you know, 60-year husband. It's, they, it's the only game they've ever spent money on to try to get to, but they had to because they had to see the lot. Like, it was incredible. The, the stories alone were enough to really remind you of why we all do this and why you get through those hard years and it's just really kind of the reason we're all sports fans, right? What? It brings us all together. It was really, really amazing. Now, what's the relationship, I'm curious, like with the Lions to the <laughs> sports fans in that city? Because, look, the other teams, the Tigers have been to World Series in, you know, the last decade or whatever. The Detroit Red Wings, mm-hmm. Hockey Town, they've had, you know, won Stanley Cups up the wazoo. The Pistons have fallen on some hard times, but, you know, they're not that far removed from being a championship team. The Lions, certainly it's been a lot longer here. Like, what would this this title, this championship, hell, a Super Bowl appearance, mean to that city compared to versus when the other teams in the other sports are winning and are at the top of their sport? Well, in 04, I can tell you, I was there in 04. 
when the Pistons topped the then Lakers, the realignment since then. But, you know, that was very special. But the Lions, I mean, the Silverdome, the, the Barry Sanders of it all, that, you know, they were all – it just felt like this was a team that was never going to do it. And it kind of felt very parallel to what was going – it still does feel very parallel to what's going on in the city. You know, it, it was really tough in Detroit after the 2008 recession. A lot of I – mean, I'm a car family – it was actually interesting. My dad worked at the building I stayed in. There's a hotel in the Renaissance Center, which is where Detroit's headquartered. So it was very kind of came full circle because you saw a lot of struggles. You see a lot of people who are – it's not the same Detroit as even when I was a kid. And it was it, – it's very, it's very symbolic for this team that's kind of been known to like sort of blunder things quite, quite often and – you know, somehow find ways to lose. I mean, that Aaron Rodgers to, to Richard Rodgers, whoever passed Hail Mary, like that, like used to typify what it meant to be a Lions fan, just having hope dashed, right? So it, it would mean a lot to that city because it's, it's, that's a, it's a tough city, a gritty city, and the, the word grit is what Dan Campbell keeps going back to. And it just really does embody what, what the city's all about. Cynthia, you, you use the expression hopes dashed. Have you forgotten who you're talking to? <laughs> the Jets are next, baby. The Jets are next. The Jets the Jets are next. I mean, listen, there is no – it is not a coincidence that the minute Aaron Rodgers leaves that it, things get better for the Lions, <laughs> which means the minute Aaron Rodgers is okay again, and obviously, look, it, it, it was a terrible start to the season. But you know what? If it's going to have to happen, maybe early is fine because then it could be better for this next season. So it is it is a much bleaker uh, scenario for all of the AFC East teams now if Aaron Rodgers is healthy. Let me tell you that as a Lions fan. <laughs> Let us hope so. We're talking with Cynthia Freeland of the NFL Network. How well do you remember 1991 that season and the run that they made to the, the uh, NFC Championship the last time around? I mean, not very well. We, it's so funny. We keep talking about, like, we didn't have cell phones that I couldn't have, like, texted right. my friends. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I was a little girl. So I do remember watching it. I, re- I, I remember my dad and I talking about it. But it it wasn't I – w- I wasn't there. We actually lived in, in Europe at the time. for we were, General Motors sent us there for my dad's Oh, I didn't know that. While. So, yeah. So we already – like, we were – you know, I got to stay up really late and wake up – or, I guess, wake up really early, whatever. So – it was a special moment, but it was, it, it just was, you know, you're, when you're so little, you just remember, I remember being, you know, asking my dad, like, what happened? And kind of being a little groggy for it. <laughs> well, I re- and I was talking about this the other day, I'm sure that, and I haven't seen them yet. I, I wonder if they're going to get brought up here over the next few days and uh, even on your network with the shows, like just going back to 91. A big part of that 91 run that the Lions made, they were really inspired by Mike Utley, who was an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. You know, he was paralyzed that season, you know, so they were trying to win yeah. for their fallen teammate, and he was really like a source of inspiration and on all the programs. So I, I wonder if one of these networks is going to catch up with Mike Utley today just as the Lions are right back on that stage again all these years later. I think – so I was I was watching a bunch of the local news packages, and they did mention him a number of times on that. So if not the national level, I'm sure the, the local level has got it. Like I was – fangirling over like the local NBC guy who I didn't even know before then. But I was like, I really, I watched you all morning and I really liked all your packages. It was great. He was like, he was so confused. I was like, I was like, it was really wonderful. <laughs> so yeah. Now I know you're a pop culture expert as well. I'll quiz you. 
The last time the Lions okay. were in the NFC Championship game, which was January 1992, what was the number one song on the charts? I think it was a Michael Jackson song. Because I, I think I remember seeing this. Ooh, she's right. No? She's right. She's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black and White by Michael <laughs> Jackson. That was the number one song. How about that? All right. You're an expert at the trends, the data. Give me, do you have a couple of these trends that we should be looking out for with this game on Sunday? Yeah. I mean, look, if the Lions can it's really going to come down to the run game for the Lions. The way that they potentially upset the Niners, and I, to be clear, my math has the Niners winning, but by five points, not seven points. And the way that they would upset and actually win the game is if they can run the football very efficiently and effectively. We know that they can do that. They're, they've shown that they can. Outside zone has been a problem for some of these uh, some, some some of the configurations of the 49ers defense. So if they catch them in those configurations, maybe it's a little outside zone rushing, will work. Passing Short passes to running backs like Jameer Gibbs and his explosiveness, that's very helpful too. And even though it's not what Jared Goff typically does, because Jared Goff throws a lot of in-breakers, if he can get some of those outside-the-numbers passes to be complete, I think that would be a huge difference maker because the area of the field that the Niners defense is actually best at defending against the pass is pretty much right where Jared Goff likes to throw, like in that middle third, the middle back third of the field. So if they can adapt and adjust there, that's great because we know some explosive plays from Brock Purdy in this offense are going to happen. Obviously, we've seen the Lions. They gave up the most 16-plus receptions this season. They're the only team that was over 100, so they got to shore that up a little bit. Where are you going to be watching the game on Sunday? Um, I will be nervous on my couch, not speaking to anyone but my immediate family. <laughs> I will be clutching to my dog, who's named Gordy Howe, for dear life. And my poor fiancé will have to deal with me probably cursing at the team. And he's a New Yorker, so like it's okay, though. He, he, he knows, he, he's okay with the cursing. Right. That, 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 that's part and parcel when you're talking about watching sports. That, that, that goes with it. So, listen, <laughs> congratulations. You know I'm happy for you. Thank Pulling you. for your team. And Absolutely. hopefully you get one more big win here, and then you can ride it out for the next couple of weeks waiting for the Super Bowl. No pressure, right? No pressure at all. I mean, whatever. No, I, I think we were talking about it before, and, like, if there was somehow would have been, like, a Bills and Lions Super Bowl, maybe Vegas, like, all the furniture in Vegas would have, like, burned down to the <laughs> two cities that, like, like, to burn furniture after a win. So, at least the furniture in Vegas will now be at least halfway safe. Well, keep the couch in one piece. That's all you want to have here happen on Sunday. <laughs> Thanks for calling in, Cynthia. It's always great to catch up, my friend, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much for having me. I miss you, and I'm glad you're like you're doing great. I'm really proud of you. Trying to follow in your footsteps, you know that. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. There's our pal Cynthia Freeland of the NFL Network, big Lions fan. Hopefully, your team can get her a victory coming up there on Sunday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Dan Grasser Show on 98.7 ESPN. This video was on, like, nonstop at the time. Like, in the MTV, VH1 days, like, non The box. There was also this thing, like, it was called the box on the cable. 
where he's, it was, you know, like the video equivalent of a jukebox. You could, like, literally call up and request, like, a video to play constantly, constantly. A few more minutes, Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN. We thank Cynthia Freeland for hopping on with us here. We told you earlier in the program, Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan, going out on a high note. As a national champion, he is moving back to the NFL. He is new head coach of the L.A. Chargers. He put out this statement. My love for Michigan, playing there, and coming back to coach there leaves a lasting impact. I'll always be a loyal Wolverine. I'm remarkably fortunate to have been afforded the privilege of coaching at places where life's journey has created strong personal connections for me, from working as an assistant coach at Western Kentucky alongside my father, Jack, and time as an assistant with the Raiders, to being a head coach at San Diego, Stanford, Fort Niners, Michigan. Each of these opportunities carried significance. Each felt personal. When I played for the Chargers, the Spanos family could not have been more gracious or more welcoming. Being back here feels like home, and it's great to see that those things haven't changed. The only job you start at the top is digging a hole, so we know we've got to earn our way. Be better today than yesterday. Be better tomorrow than today. My priorities are faith, family, and football. We're going to attack each with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. This organization is putting in the work, investing capital, building infrastructure, and doing everything within its power to win. Great effort equals great results, and we're just getting started. If you're Michigan, look, you're upset. But he's kind of earned this. You know, he did what he set out to do going back to Michigan. He beat Ohio State. And he won a national championship. He made multiple trips to the college football playoff, and he won a national championship. So it stinks, but he delivered on his promise. So I don't know how you could fault the guy. Now, the problem is with Michigan, what do you do to stay at that level? You know, if you've noticed at Ohio State, Ryan Day has gone out there and beefed up his coaching staff and hired some big-name assistant coaches. So you know that Ohio State is not going to let this thing stay where it is. And they see this as an opportunity to get back to being the beasts of the Big Ten. I would think that Michigan probably hands it off to Moore, the assistant, who filled in when Harbaugh had the suspension. But I don't know if he's going to get five years to leave his mark because if Michigan takes a step back next year and let's say Ohio State beats them and Ohio State wins the Big Ten, they're going to probably be enough calls to say, hey, we got to get somebody else in there who's going to get us back to playing at an elite level. But that's their problem, not mine. So we shall see. This was a fun show tonight. It really, really was. Thanks to everybody who was a part of it, Joe and Harvey. Thanks to Cynthia Freeland for hopping on with us. Hope you guys like the Grasa Us segment. We're going to do that each night at 8 o'clock. Thanks to everybody that called, tweeted, participated. Gordon and Larry are coming up next. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 6.30, right after TMKS. Grasa saying so long on 98.7 ESPN.